Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get in it. The unlimited power of faith. The unlimited power of faith. I think a lot of times people get mixed up on what the Christian life really is. The Christian life is not a life of, it's not supposed to be at least, a life of constant struggle and looking for deliverance and looking for help and always needing breakthrough and always needing a miracle and always needing, it shouldn't be like that all the time. There should be a point where you learn, just like my child, my, my little boy Judah, he's two and a half years old now. When he was a little baby, when he was under a year, we, you know, my, my wife had to breastfeed him. We had to care for him, especially. We had to, you know, always, always be on him. He had zero independence. He was totally independent on us, totally dependent on us. But after a little while, we taught him how to eat with a fork, eat with a spoon. He's two and a half years old now. He, he, he doesn't necessarily need, I mean, he still needs a little help because he can make a mess, but he doesn't necessarily need the same amount of help as he needed before. There comes a point where, he, where he's entered, he enters into a maturity as he comes into the toddler age, as he comes into, young, uh, into a youthful age and then into a teenage. If he's 30 years old and he's still asking me to wipe the yogurt off his face, there's a problem there. There's a problem. He has, he's skipped a step somewhere and we need to go back to that step so we can learn and, and, and properly correct his path so he doesn't, he's not 70 years old and still needing someone to feed him. That, that's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians. They never enter in to a spiritual maturity. They stay at spiritual infancy. They're like what I, I call their uh, nursery Christians, the church. Sunday morning is literally just them checking into daycare. They're always needing uh, a, an overhaul. They're always needing some sort of breakthrough on Sunday morning. When the prayer pastor gets up and says, hey, are there any prayer requests today? Every single hand goes up. Everybody's in need of something. It's like, what's going on are are you getting from the word of God what is necessary to add to your spiritual maturity so that you can walk in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ there should be a point I'm not saying you get to a point where you arrive but I'm saying you get to a point where you learn now how to take a stand yourself you learn now that's why I titled this the unlimited power of faith because faith the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 that we have all as Christians received a measure of faith we've all received the measure of faith you cannot tell me if you're a christian that you have no faith it's impossible you have faith because it's by grace through faith that you are saved so if you're a christian you say i have no faith then you're not saved because for you to be saved you need to have a measure of faith that's the gift of faith that god gives not the gift of faith from the gifts of the spirit it's a it's a gift that god gives you when you believe on the lord jesus christ at salvation there is the spiritual gift of faith that's different i'm not talking about that right now i'm talking about salvation faith saving faith redemption faith that faith hebrew ephesians 2 8 says is what god delivers to you as a gift he like prepackages it no no strings attached nothing 
You have that faith, it, it produces repentance in you, it, re, it produces a change of life in you, and then you're in a new direction. But that measure of faith that God gives you can either increase or it can decrease. And it's all up to you. The responsibility is not in God's hands. The responsibility in the development of our faith is absolutely and entirely in our hands. That's why you see in the Gospels, Jesus actually talks about the different degrees of faith. You have some people uh, that, that Jesus, you know, when they were in Mark chapter 4, they were on the boat. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen Jesus cause a, a man with a withered hand in Mark chapter 3, his hand come forth and, his, and, and a full hand be restored. They had seen the power of God in operation. But Mark chapter 4 comes along and the Bible says that they get into a boat and as they're going to the other side, Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the ship. And while that's happening, an, a, a massive storm, a, uh, I think it's called a Euryclidon, ended up coming. Which if you study the Greek of that, it's literally a demonically inspired storm. That's what it means. The, the original Greek of that word uh, that's used when Mark 4 talks about the storm, it's not a natural storm, it's a supernatural storm, and it had a mission to destroy Jesus and the disciples in the boat. So you look at this, you have Jesus, who was the word made flesh, sleeping, resting, knowing that I already gave the command, because if you read it, he first told his disciples, Let's go to the other side. So there was a command. We're getting to the other side. No matter what comes against us, we are getting to the other side. Jesus goes to bed knowing that his word is going to be produced. He can never send forth a word and it return void. So he's sleeping. The disciples are awake, panicking now, running around, helter-skelter, not knowing what to do. Finally, they get to a point where, look, we've tried everything as trained, professional, expert fishermen. Remember, most of these people on that boat were not beginners. They weren't untrained uh, boatsmen. These guys were trained fishermen. They had spent their entire life at sea. So this was a messy storm. And look at the reaction. They finally come to Jesus, wake him up, and the first word was, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? I mean, imagine this. You're going to wake up the man, the, the, the son of God, who has one express mission to the earth, and that is to save them from perishing. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish. And they're going, accusing him, don't you care that we're perishing? Absolutely not. His whole mission is to keep men from perishing. That's why I believe there's some people here online right now and those may be watching on the replay, where the devil has successfully convinced you that God is actually working in opposition to you. That somehow God and the devil are in a back room somewhere working to make life hard for you, working to make life difficult for you, and that everything you've seen in life is just quote unquote unlucky, and so you have this, you, you say you love God, but in your heart there's this questioning of, as to whether God truly wants to save you, deliver you, heal you, and help you, or whether he's in partnership with the devil to crush you and bruise you and, and, and make things complex in life. I want to clear things up for you right now. The devil is the oppressor. The devil is the sickness giver. The devil is the one that sends storms in life. There are three storms in the entire Bible that the Bible talks about. There is the one of Jonah, the one uh, that we just talked about in Mark chapter 4, and then there's a storm in Acts chapter 27. Those are the three storms of scripture. Two of those three storms 
were, were demonic and came as a result of, of, um, of, uh, of, of a, a, a spiritual warfare. One of them was as a result of deliberate disobedience to God's commands. None of them, none of them were examples of someone walking right with the Lord and God just sending a storm just to screw things up for a little while, just to teach them a lesson. Jonah was walking opposite to where God had called him to, to be. That's the only storm that God sends in all scripture. That's the only one where it says he sent a storm against Jonah. And you see, he was, his heart wasn't right. So if you're living away from the Lord, expect storms. If you're living in the opposite direction, expect things to not work out. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The scripture says that the, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible says that in the house of the wicked is much trouble. That he that loves sinning loves trouble. But on the flip side, those that are of the righteous, he that walks in uprightness, the Bible says good shall be repaid, or he that sows in obedience shall reap a sure reward. So Jonah, you can't even use Jonah unless you're, I mean, you're away from the Lord. In that case, at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to give you an opportunity and an invitation to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ today so that that storm can stop, you can get back on track, and things start to work again for you. But the other two storms of scripture were literally demonically inspired storms sent to kill the apostles in Mark 4 and in Acts chapter 27, it was directed to prevent P, uh, Paul from ever reaching Rome because if Paul reached Rome, the devil knew if Paul can reach Rome and the gospel gets to Rome, remember the, the, say, the saying, all roads lead to Rome? Well, the same thing goes in the opposite. Every, every place is reachable from Rome. They had an amazing courier system, and that's where Paul wrote all, a, lot, a lot of his letters and circulated the gospel throughout the entire world. That's where the mass spread of the gospel occurred. So the devil, in Acts 27, sent something to kill him, and uh, it obviously didn't work because Paul ended up getting to, to Rome. But notice this. Jesus is on the boat sleeping. The disciples wake him up. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't get up and say, hey, God never promised us a storm-free life, guys. We need to just absorb whatever comes our way because life, life is random sometimes. Sometimes I don't even understand what life... That's not what he said. He refused to be manipulated and slapped around by anything demonic. He got up, and the Bible says, and if you study it, he used the sharpest Aramaic term. He used the strongest offensive word you can use in his language in that day when he said shut up and be still to the storm he wasn't talking to water he was talking to the power that was behind the thing that was sent to destroy him if you think life is just fun fair and just like you know you're hoping to strike a lucky strand in life and things are just going to get that's not the devil is working against your progress the devil is working against your advancement the devil is the bible says comes to steal kill and destroy first peter 5 7 he is like a roaring lion he is not a roaring lion he is like a roaring lion that uh, goes about looking for someone prowling around the whole earth going to and fro looking for somebody that he can devour that means there's people he can devour and there's people he cannot touch the bible says very clearly that the the devil the adversary of our souls is working 24-7 to try and prevent you from accessing the promises of God. That's why, you know, when God said to Joshua, I'm sending you into the land of Canaan, go and arise, take over. But there are giants in the land. 
Just because God said you can have something from his word doesn't mean it's not going to be opposed. Doesn't mean you're just going to automatically receive it. There are giants in the land. There are things working against you receiving the full blessing of God. So what? that's why I'm doing this broadcast on faith. Because faith, remember, the Bible doesn't say we're to fight the devil. Doesn't say that. It says we're in a wrestling match with him. But the Bible doesn't say that we're to fight him. The Bible never says we're to fight demons. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.12 that we are to fight one fight. There's only one fight the believer is called to fight scripturally, and that is the fight of faith. Because faith is what brings the victory over satanic forces. Faith is what brings you the promises of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 33 that it's through faith they subdued kingdoms. They subdued the kingdom of darkness through faith. It was through faith they obtained promises. It was through faith that they escaped the edge of the sword. It was through faith that they quenched the violence of fire in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day. It was that force of faith that was on the inside of them that got them to refuse to back down, will not be intimidated. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm fed up with seeing Christians bullied by somebody who's under our feet. The devil's not over our head. The devil's not eye to eye. The devil is under our feet. I'm fed up with seeing the Christians that are called to have dominion over Satan being bullied by him. Today that ends in your life. You are moving into a place of full dominion over satanic forces. The devil is going to rue the day that he had you and didn't kill you. From today, you're rising as what the Bible says, more than a conqueror because of the greater one that lives in you that is greater than anything in this world in the name of Jesus Christ if you can type one in the chat if that if you agree with that if you shout amen in your room type one in the chat hallelujah so there's degrees of faith and you'll only able be able to fight to the level of degree of faith that you have the bible says if you fail proverbs 24 5 if you fail in the day of adversity your strength is too small so the Bible says, if you're constantly failing in life, you have to reevaluate perhaps my strength. And what's strength? Strength is, uh, the strength of a believer is faith. The just shall live by faith. Meaning the quality of life you have is based on the quality of strength of faith that you have in your heart and that you employ in life. So if, you're, if your faith is small, your strength is small. If your strength is small, your victories will be few, if any. So Jesus goes through the different degrees of faith. The first degree, he said to the disciples after he rebuked the winds and the wave, they marveled and said, we've never seen anything like this. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They never said that, seen that. They've never even heard of that. And Jesus turned to them and said, why is it? Oh, he of little, he said, why is it? Why is your heart troubled? And why do you have no faith? Why are your hearts troubled and why is it that you have no faith? So trouble of heart comes and arises when there's a faith deficiency in the heart. When you're constantly worried about everything, constantly, uh, you know, scratching your head, wondering how you're going to get out of this, constantly feeling like you're backed up into a corner with no way out and that anxiety and that, that, um, that, that feeling of distress gripping your heart, constantly plaguing your life, if that's you, there's, there's a faith deficiency. That's not how life is supposed to be. I don't know, maybe you've been around people that are just like that, and you've only surrounded yourself with people like that, and so that's all you know. That's all you've ever experienced. That's, that's what's natural to you. 
then, you know, it's still no excuse to continue on that way because I'm telling you today, there's a way out of that. The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. So when there's no faith, trouble fills your heart. But when there is faith, Romans 15, 13 says, joy and peace begin to fill your heart. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You show me a man of faith, I'll show you a man of joy. You show me a woman of faith, I'll show you a woman of peace. You show me an individual of faith, a champion of faith, I'm sh you'll show me someone who is a happy person. So I'm not saying somebody who never faces anything in life, but no matter what comes against them, they don't get discouraged. Just like David. David had every reason to get discouraged. For Samuel 30, his whole camp, his women, his children, all the women and children of the, the camp that he was over, they all got kidnapped. They all got, they got ransacked. All their possessions were in fire and in flames. And in that moment, the people were speaking of stoning David. And this is what a man of faith does comp compared to someone who's not a person of faith. The person of doubt and unbelief that receives nothing from the Lord, because James 1 says, let not that man experience or expect to receive anything from the Lord. The person of unbelief just cowards, runs away, doesn't face it, tries to ignore the battles of life. Let me tell you, what you don't confront will continue to conquer you. What you don't challenge will continue to remain in your life. David did the opposite. He was never shying out from a battle. He... The Bible says, encourage himself in the Lord. He couldn't get, even in a moment like that, he refused to get discouraged. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 42, the Bible says, why, David speaking, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so discouraged? He, like, he didn't accept discouragement. See, that's the difference between people of faith and people who have no faith. It's not that they don't ever feel discouraged. It's that the person that has no faith falls victim to that discouragement and they do nothing about it they accept discouragement whereas a champion of faith refuses to be discouraged no you you got to start speaking like david did i'm going to encourage myself in the lord the lord is my strength and my salvation he's my light whom shall i fear if war comes against me if the devil himself knocks at my door in this i shall be confident the lord is my support the lord is my help the lord is my salvation the lord is the champion that stands by me my tomorrow's gonna be all right because God stands with me today and every day he's not a liar he's not a man that changes he's the same yesterday today and forevermore and I'm moving forward baby no matter what the devil likes hallelujah that's what a, I mean you look some of you watching this I saw someone saying I'm crying already I mean that's what faith does faith infuses a holy confidence in God where whatever you're, when you have no faith, everything is overwhelming. Everything is destructive. Everything weighs in on you. But when faith is alive in you, nothing phases you. Look at David. David sees Goliath yapping his mouth. All the men of Israel were cowards. They heard the words of Goliath. They didn't want to do anything about it. What are we going to do? I don't know. Who's going to fight? Pray. Lord, we pray that you'd raise someone else up to deal with this. That's what people of no faith do. Oh, let me just call pastor. He can pray for me. Oh, they always want to outsource their work to others. When God's saying, you shouldn't rely on other people's faith all your life. Maybe when you're a baby Christian, you can, you know, you can agree. And there's nothing wrong with two of you agreeing on anything in faith. I do that all the time with people. But there should come a point 
Because there's going to be a time at 3 a.m. where you don't have pastor. He's, he's not going to answer your phone call. There's going to be a time where, where you're stranded and there's nobody that's answering you. And you have to start exercising your own faith. God doesn't want you to rely on everybody's anointing and everybody's faith and everybody's power and everybody's de- private devotion with God. God wants you to have your own faith that in the day of adversity, you don't succumb to the pressure, but you rise up to the opportunity and say, I am not going to be defeated. I'm not going to give up and quit he that began a good work in me is going to complete it and i'm moving i'm I'm getting to the other side just like jesus said in mark 4 to the disciples we're moving to the other side hallelujah so there's no faith then there's little faith he told the disciples another time you still have little faith then there's great faith he told the centurion when he uh, sent a delegation to come and get jesus to pray for his servant that was sick and lying with uh paralyzed ready to die Jesus came to heal his servant, and the centurion, as he saw Jesus approaching, sent another delegation out and said, hey, 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 I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak the word, and I know my servant is going to be made well. Jesus turned to the centurion and then said, hey, hey, that's that hyper-faith garbage. We don't, we don't want that hyper-faith garbage. How could you, let me ask you something. How could you have something hyper that pleases God and it be a wrong thing? How could you have hyper faith and without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So without faith, you cannot even make God happy. You can't please God. And then people accuse us of having hyper something that pleases God. Accuse me all you want. Call me hyper faith. Call me word of faith. Call me a faith preacher. I don't care. If that thing pleases God, I'm hyper, hyper faith. I'm supernatural hyper faith. I'm extreme hyper faith i'm faith all the way baby i'm not what do you what's the opposite what's the alternative that i'm a, a, a doubt preacher i'm a word of all oh, those are those word of faith preachers well what am i going to be a word of doubt preacher should i become a word of unbelief preacher no i'm a word of faith preacher the bible says in romans chapter 10 let me read this romans chapter 10 i'm a word of faith preacher i love faith faith the bible says is the victory that overcomes the world you can't even have victory without faith. I actually wrote down here, I'm going to get in after I read Romans 12, 12 things that you can't even have without faith. 12 things that are the product of faith and faith alone. No matter your emotional strength, no matter how uh, positive thinking you have, because faith is not positive thinking. Faith will produce positive thinking, but positive thinking like motivational gurus teach these days is not genuine Bible faith. There's a difference, a huge difference. I'm not talking about philosophical faith. I'm not talking about psychological faith. I'm not talking about getting that inner strength and just believing in yourself. That's not the faith I'm talking about. I'm talking about Bible faith. I'm talking about the faith that comes by hearing the word of God, where there's an overwhelming confidence that you place in God, that you refuse to give up and quit because you're fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's able, he's willing, and he's ready, standing on standby to perform for me. Romans chapter 10, listen to this. This is Paul speaking. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, and that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Paul speaking here. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, pay special attention to this, that is the word of faith which we 
preach. Paul was a word of faith preacher. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and he talks about how faith operates here. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will never be put to shame. Oh, hallelujah. People of faith are never put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. There's no distinction between you having a religious background and getting saved and you having a zero religious background and getting saved. If you're in Christ, there's no longer a distinction. There's no, you have to get to level nine in Christian, in Christian circles before you can actually start using your faith. There's none of that. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to everyone who calls upon him and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And listen to this. How, th how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Bible says, how can they call on him? How can they actually believe God for something unless they hear? And how can they hear the word unless there be a preacher? That's why the devil opposes more than anybody in the ministry. He opposes Preachers that preach faith. He doesn't care if a preacher gets up and tells you this. This is what a lot of preachers preach, and it's, it's total garbage. What, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to, to, to bring it to pass. If God will, will do it, he'll do it. You're, you're an, a non-entity in the equation. That's what people, that's what a lot of preachers do. They remove the responsibility off the believer to actually believe God themselves. So the devil really doesn't care at all if people are preaching that, you know, God is ultimately sovereign and in his sovereignty, doesn't matter what we do, eat, drink, be merry, doesn't matter, God's gonna get it done anyways. God is sovereign. I don't deny that fact. That is, a, that is an attribute of God. That is a non-negotiable thing. But in God's sovereignty, he has given man the opportunity, the privilege, and the power to believe him to do things and, and, and intervene on their behalf. So in God's sovereignty, you want to know a good definition of sovereignty? Sovereignty of God is not, he does everything, we're just, you know, walking around like, like zombies on earth. Sovereignty can be best described, God's sovereignty. You want to balance God's sovereignty with our choice? Here it is. In God's sovereignty... He has given man the opportunity, the right, and the privilege to believe him or the opportunity and the right to choose to reject him. That's why Joshua drew a line in the sand. And he said, those who are on the Lord's side come on this side. For I've set heaven and earth before you this day to witness against you that I have put life and death. I've put blessing and I've put cursing. Oh, that you would choose life. 
So God gives people the, the ability to choose life. And that's where faith comes into play. Because it, you need faith to choose life. You need faith to choose the God way. So the devil doesn't really care for people that just, you know, they, 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 they bash word of faith. They bash faith preachers. You know, faith people have never been popular throughout the entirety of history. Why? Because faith incapacitates the devil so he's not able to do anything remember hebrews chapter 6 and verse 16 uh ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16 the bible says above all the armor of god i did a, a study on the armor of god last week it'd be good to go and listen but uh in verse 16 paul says above all the armor of god above the helmet of salvation above the breastplate of righteousness above the belt of truth take up the shield of of faith that's a good confession to make uh, evangelist taylor i choose the blessed life if you would just copy that in your own comment section write that out everyone that's watching write that out i choose the blessed life i choose the blessed life it's a powerful confession to make above everything else paul says in all the armor i just went through take up the shield of faith why Paul doesn't say take it up because it's a good thing to have. No, wherewith you will extinguish or quench or neutralize all the fiery darts, the attacks of the devil. So the devil's throwing darts all day, every day. People without the shield, they get a, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be hit and they'll be hit hard. But when you have the shield of faith, when you, when you preach faith, when you receive faith, when you believe in faith, you have a defense system against the wiles of the devil so that you're able to stand and keep on moving. That's why I said, you know, throughout history, faith people have been hated, persecuted more than any other people. You have uh, Numbers 13, the 10 spies. Remember the 12 spies are sent out to spy out the land of Canaan that God was giving Moses and the Israelites? All 12 saw the same land. All 12 saw the same giants. All 12 saw the same problems. All 12 saw the same blessing that God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. 10 of them came back and said, hey, it is good. God wasn't lying. It's a great land. But we're never going to be able to subdue the people that are in there. We're like grasshoppers in, in their sight. We're so small compared to them. Matter of fact, they have walls that are fortified walls and it seems like they just go to heaven. People of unbelief overemphasize the problems. First of all, they weren't grasshoppers. There were giants, but they were not grasshoppers in their sight. The grasshopper is like a couple of, if maybe maximum two or three inches long. They weren't grasshoppers in their sight. They just exaggerate. People of unbelief exaggerate how big the problem is and how small they are. And they beat themselves out of the victory by the words they speak. They have what the people call a grasshopper mentality. I'm too small. I'm not able. I can't do it. I'll never have it. I'll, mo I'll never move from here. This is where I'm settling. That's what grasshopper people do. Because they always focus on the extreme opposition be, uh, ahead of them. Those people said, we're not able. We're not able. We're never going to. And you know what? You can have what you say. Numbers 14, 26 says, God speaking to Moses. He said, only Joshua and Caleb, who said the opposite. Because when everyone else was saying, we're not able, Joshua and Caleb and said, hey, hey, hey. He quieted the crowd and said, if God is on our side, we are more than able. 
to take possession of the land and the giants will be bread for us to eat. They're not, they're a non-issue. Have you seen how great God is? Have you seen what he's done to our enemies up until this day? Remember what he did to Pharaoh. See, unbelief is forgetful. Forget everything God's bailed you out of in the past. And so there's no strength to march on into present day victory. Whereas people of faith are very, uh, very uh, intentional on remembering the victories of the past. Joshua and Caleb had, had seen the exodus of Israel. They had seen the Red Sea parting. They had seen all of Pharaoh's armies being swallowed up by the waters. So when they saw the giants, they're like, hey, those aren't even as a, a big of a threat as Pharaoh was and as his armies were. So let's, let's, we can by all means take possession. And you know what happened? The people applauded and said, amen. No, they picked up stones to throw at them. Faith will make you an enemy of religion. People are just content settling with where they're at. But faith will make you a hero in heaven. Hebrews chapter 11 is the heroes of faith chapter of the Bible. By faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By faith, Sarah received uh, strength to conceive seed, even though she was past the age of childbearing because she judged him faithful who had promised by faith, by faith, by faith. And it talks about Joshua and Caleb and Barak and Daniel and David and all the other men, Samson, all the great men of faith. You want to guarantee your name is never remembered the moment you die? Live in unbelief the rest of your life. You want to guarantee that you leave a heritage so that people years and generations down are still remembering you just like Smith Wigglesworth? I still read his stuff and they call him the apostle of faith. He revolutionized the message of faith. He made us understand it in a greater capacity because he didn't just have it as a theology or as a, as a viewpoint or as a perspective or as a theory. He lived his faith out and it produced amazing results because by faith, faith the elders obtained a good report and it encourages me Wigglesworth's books were encouraging me his though he being dead he's still speaking through his faith the two got up to say we're gonna get it we're gonna by all means obtain it and instead of them applauding them and say you know what they're right I'm encouraged Joshua they picked up stones to throw at them numbers 14 26 God tells Moses Nobody is going to enter into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb because they had another spirit. But all, for the rest of them, as they have spoken in the hearing of my ear, so will I do to them. You, as you have believed, so be it unto you. Let me go through 12, um, 12 byproducts of faith. 12 things that faith brings to you that without faith you can never you can never acquire these things number one the just shall live by faith Habakkuk 2 4 Hebrews 10 38 Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 the Bible says the just shall live by faith so it doesn't say the just will live regardless of his faith the just the quality so if you're saved that's great that's step one you have a measure of faith but the quality of life you enjoy you enjoy is determined by the quality of faith you employ. The quality of life you enjoy is a, a byproduct of the quality of faith that you employ, that you have and use on a daily basis. So the just shall live by faith. You can't have a colorful life and an enviable destiny unless faith is in place. Your life will be 
chaotic. Your life will be a struggle. Your life will be random. You'll just take whatever comes your way. But when you have faith, life becomes enjoyable. Life becomes pleasant. Life becomes uh, uh, an exciting, thrilling thing. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Only the violent faith people take it by force. So if you want to live an earthly life and be confined to earthly limitations, then don't ever study the subject of faith. Just live on taking life as it comes. But if you want to enjoy heaven on earth, the just will live by faith. Number two, victory by faith. 1 John 5, 4. The Bible says, let me read it. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So you can have victory in life. Victory over sin, victory over addiction, victory over, uh, over um, attacks that the enemy would send your way. Like I said before, the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the devil, that shield is only operational when faith is in place. You cannot even have practical victory without faith. You can't overcome satanic forces. The devil, you know, remember in Acts chapter 16, uh, Acts chapter 19, the Bible says there were seven sons of Sceva that were trying to cast the devil out of a person. And they were saying, we, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't have their own faith. They were trying to ride on Paul's faith and Paul's relationship with God. And look at how that turned out. They got beat up, smitten, so that they, were, they left the house naked, bruised, and wounded. And the, the man that was demon-possessed, was laughing and mocking, mocking them. Whereas when you see Jesus, who was faith manifest, walking the shores of Galilee, that man who could not be bound with shackles or chains, the Gadarene demoniac, runs to where Jesus is, bows his faith to the ground, faith to the, face to the ground, and says, what have we to do with you? And with one word, the demon was cast out. So the victory is impossible except by faith. Number three, you're saved by faith. You can't, even, you can't even partake of the blessings of redemption without faith. The Bible says by grace through faith. So it's not just grace alone that you're saved. It's grace through faith that you're saved. The Bible says believe and, con and repent and ye shall receive times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So that faith has to be in place if your name's going to be written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven the moment you believe. But without faith, you can't even be saved. Number four, you're justified by faith. Your sins are forgiven by faith. You're made just in the sight of God by faith. What is justified? It's when God looks at you just if I'd never sinned. Clean, white, spotless, a glorious bride without spot or without wrinkle. Being washed by the blood of Jesus. That happens. That's a product of faith. Without faith, you can't even walk justified in life. Number five, healed by faith. The woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus. That's why I'm taking time to preach on faith. That's why I take time to preach on healing. That's why I take time to preach on breakthrough and miracles. That's why I take time to preach on financial prosperity and, and God meeting all your needs and provision. Because faith comes when you hear the word. Not just any word, the word pertaining to the faith that you need. If I need faith on healing, I read books on healing by men of God. I read the scriptures that talk about healing, that builds my faith on healing. Faith is compartmentalized. So you can have amazing faith in salvation, but then have no faith for healing, no faith for provision, and you live 
as sick as Job's turkey and as poor as his dog. But you'll make heaven. And that's great. We'll see you in heaven. God bless you. But if you want to walk in total victory all the days of your life and have all around rest, then you have to build up your faith in every area. So when it comes to healing, you can't be healed by faith. You have to build yourself up on the word of healing if you're going to take the healing power of God, just like the woman with the Yeshua blood did. She heard about Jesus, and what did it do? She didn't sit back and say, well, I've heard about it, so, you know, hopefully one day he passes my way. Wouldn't that be great, huh? She didn't do that. Faith came alive, and that faith was manifest in what she did afterwards. She pressed through the crowd, and she said out, out loud with her mouth, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well, no matter the affliction. And when she acted on that word, the Bible says virtue, healing power flowed into her body. Jesus in Luke chapter 5 was teaching on a certain Sabbath. And the Bible says the power of the Lord was present there to heal the people that were there. So as he preached the word, Faith developed in the hearts of the people and the power of the Lord was present to heal. You cannot even be healed without faith. Healing comes by faith. Jesus turned to the woman with the issue of blood and didn't rebuke her. He said, daughter, Mark 534, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Number six, we overcome by faith. Hebrews eleven thirty three. we subdue kingdoms, we've wrought righteousness, and we've obtained promises. You overcome by faith. Number seven, you receive strength by faith. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. Strength is a product of faith. The Bible says, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and ye shall prosper. So you cannot grow strong in faith. Abraham wavered not to the promises of God in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. So strength is tied to your faith. Weak faith, weak strength. Strong faith, strong strong strength. Number eight, you obtain good reports by faith. Hebrews 11, two, by faith the elders obtain a good report. So you cannot, you can't even obtain a good report. You can't obtain a change of story for the good without faith in place. Naaman obtained a good report. In uh, first or Second Kings chapter five, he obtained a good report when he decided finally to quit being uh, hostile towards the words of the prophet, but instead to actually obey the word of the prophet, to obey what God had instructed him to do. When he did that, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and his flesh was restored. He obtained a good report, even though he was a leper, his flesh was clean as he he moved in faith. Number nine, you understand by faith. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds that we see were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So faith helps us to understand the word of God. The word of God will be the most complex and difficult to comprehend book in the entire world if you're not reading it through the lens of faith. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but let faith be your standard of understanding. Let faith fuel your understanding. It's hard to understand the Trinity without faith, without believing that it's possible. I mean, if you're, if you're in unbelief, you automatically don't believe all things are possible. And the moment that happens, the Word of God becomes a, a fairy tale, becomes a storybook, just equated with every other uh, Disney story, Cinderella account. It's all just nice, good stories. 
to get people to have a crutch in life. But when genuine faith is in your heart, I don't just read Naaman's story or I don't just read Abraham's story just to get me through life, you know, just to keep my hopes up. No, what God promised to him, I can have. Because if I'm Christ, I'm Abraham's seed and I'm heirs according to the promise. I'm heirs according to what God promised Abraham. Abraham's story... If you read it without faith, it's just some like far-fetched concept. When you read it with faith, it actually builds a precedent for what I'm now believing God to do in my life. And if he did it for him, he can do it for me because God does not show any favorites. What God does for one, he'll do for all. I understand by faith. Number 10, I stand by faith. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.24 says, by faith we stand. You can't even stand in life. You'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine without faith. You'll be an up and down Christian. You'll be, you'll be a, a, a roller coaster Christian, constantly going up and down with your feelings. But when faith is in place, you're not directed by your feelings. You stand by faith. We don't go by what we see. We go by what we believe. Number 11, it is to you according to your faith, meaning your life is a product of your faith. You'll only have in life what your faith produces. What you have today is a reflection of what you believed God for yesterday. And what you'll have tomorrow is a reflection of what you're believing God for today. Jesus told those two men that were blind that came to him and said, Lord, we want to receive our sight. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord, we believe. He turned to them, touched their eyes and said, then as your faith is, so be it unto you. Whether good or bad, I might add. So if your faith is set for what the devil's saying you're going to have, then so as your faith is, so be it unto you. You'll have every, everything the devil said you, you'll have if you believe his report. But Isaiah asks a different question. Who has believed your report, O God? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? You can choose to believe the devil's report. And as your faith is, so be it unto you. But when you believe God's report, everything God has, everything that is in heaven's bank becomes yours and it's withdrawn through faith. Number 12, all things are possible by faith. Faith ushers you in to a realm of no limits. Faith takes the limitations off of the humanity that is in you. When Adam sinned, limits came on mankind. When Adam sinned, we became limited in mind, limited in what we can do, limited in what we can accomplish. When Jesus came, he broke the law of sin and death that placed these limitations on us. And now, by faith, like Paul, uh, Paul said in Philippians 4.13, by faith we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, if you can, because remember they brought to him a boy that was demon possessed that the disciples couldn't help they tried to cast the demon out it didn't work when they brought the boy to jesus jesus turned to the disciples and said you faithless and unbelieving generation how long shall i put up with you bring the boy to me when the boy was brought to jesus immediately it convulsed and he fell to the ground foaming at the mouth and jesus looked uh to the to the father and said how long has this been happening to him he said ever since childhood but if you can do anything i pray help us Jesus got offended. I love what it says in the New Living Translation. Jesus replied to the Father saying, If I can, if I can. Do you know that your unbelief offends God? 
Do you understand that doubt is offensive to God? James chapter 1 says that he that asks must ask in faith. For he that doubts is like the waves of the sea. He's tossed to and fro. He's, to- he's tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea, not willing, not, 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 um, he's tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea and is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let not that man expect to receive anything, anything from the Lord. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So when you, when you stand in unbelief, you cut yourself off from the pipeline by which God funnels his blessing to you. Because faith establishes a connection with God. When there's no faith, you cut off the pipeline from which God can bless and, and flow his blessing to you. That's why when, Jesus, when uh, the man said, if you can help us, help us. Jesus got offended. He said, hey, if you have that mindset, you're cutting my power off from flowing to you and helping you. And what did he reply? He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible to him that believes. Take the limits off. Now unto him was able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask or think according to his power that is at, at work in us. Those are 12 things faith can do. So let me get into what I have written down here. I said it before. Satan's strategy is to attack your faith. Luke chapter twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So when your faith fails, you become a failure. That's why the devil aims every attack at destroying the foundation of faith. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what more can the righteous do? So people that say, well, I'm a child of God. Everything's going to work all right. No, it's not just being a child of God. It's you have to learn to live the life of faith. You have to learn how to receive it. You have to learn what it is. You have to learn how to turn it loose, which I'm going to get to in a couple of minutes. But you have to know those things because it doesn't work all together, all things together for good to those that you know are just born again. No, to those that love God, are called according to his purpose, and are doing his word, are, are, are operating the laws of faith in their life. So Satan's strategy is to get to, to, to sift you as we and remove the faith foundation because afterwards, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundation of faith is destroyed, what more can the righteous do? There's nothing else you can do. You're dead meat. If you're, until your faith goes, you, you're not, you're, you're, you, you haven't lost. Since Satan can't stop God's power, he seeks to mock and make... People of faith look foolish, tries to ridicule you. Jesus goes to Jairus' house, enters the mourners there. They say, what are you doing, Jairus? Your daughter's dead. You're in the denial phase. And they mocked him to scorn. Jesus said, "He's not. she's not dead. She's sleeping. She was dead, but he's saying, I'm come here to wake her up. He was speaking in faith. He was confessing. Confession brings comp- possession. So he was confessing, I'm here to wake her up. I am the resurrection and the life. But they mocked him to scorn because the devil knows if he can mock you, ridicule you and get you to back up and get your faith to back up, then he can back you down from your miracle. If he can back you down from believing, he can back you down from receiving the miracle. But I said it 
uh, this week on the other broadcast, I said, if Satan cannot get you to give up, then he can't get you. Uh, if he can't get you to give up, then he can't get you to, 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 if he can't get you to give up, sorry, if Satan can't get you to give up, then he will give up. If Satan can't get you to give up, he will give up. He's a quitter. He's a loser. He's never known how to persevere in anything. If he can't get you to back down, he'll back down. So he tries to intimidate, put fear in your heart, because fear is, fear is faith in the devil. Fear is faith in what the devil's whispering into your ears. That's where fear, fear comes from. Fear is based on unscriptural scenarios. The devil says, you know, you're going to get sick. The word of God already says he'll, he'll take sickness out of your midst. So that's an unscriptural scenario. It's not part of my covenant. So when faith is alive, you know how to take a stand. You know how to rise up in boldness and say, no, it's not part of my covenant. And you speak the word. But fear entertains the devil's lies to a point where it, it seeps into your core and it pollutes your spirit. And you actually develop this wrong thinking now, which produces wrong believing and wrong believing produces a wrong harvest. So Satan goes after the faith foundation because if he can hit you at the fountain the pillar of faith then he, he won the battle but on the flip side because faith is the engine for everything that you have and everything you do in life if you'll guard your faith guard your heart above everything else if you'll guard your faith and learn how to receive faith and keep faith and produce faith and increase faith then you don't have to fall victim to the, the wiles of the devil so what is faith? Faith is a currency that is demanded in any heavenly transaction. Faith is a currency that facilitates transactions in receiving what heaven has to offer here on earth. Faith is a connection point with God. That woman with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment... And when she did that, she connected with heavenly power. And Jesus turned and said to the crowd, I felt power flow from me. So faith is connecting with God so that the power of God can flow into you. When the faith connection's off, the power of God can no longer flow to you. Faith is a connecting point. Is that connecting force that connects you with the virtue of heaven. And I'm not talking about a philosophical, philosophical faith. I'm not talking about a theory faith. I'm not talking about agreeing with God's word. Faith, genuine Bible faith, is a living force that is produced by the living word that produces living proofs. Faith is a living force that produces living proofs. So I'm not talking about mental assent, agreeing with God's word. I'm talking about a faith that believes God and proves that they believe God by doing what God said to do. Faith is not just believing God. Faith is doing what you need to do to prove that you believe God. Faith is not just believing God. Faith is proving that you believe God by doing what he said to do. John chapter 2. The Bible says 
that uh, they needed more wine for the feast. They came to Mary. Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, whatever he tells you to do, do it. They came to Jesus and said, hey, we need more wine. Fill the water pots with water. Water pots, we need wine, not water. They could have easily have just, you know, I agree. If we, do the, if we fill the water pots with water, then we'll have water. I agree with that. And they would have never had a miracle that day. They proved that they believed God by their actions. They went to fill the water pots with the water, which was a foolish thing. If you're not ready to be, look foolish for God, you're not ready to walk in faith. If you're not ready to look foolish for God, you're not ready to walk in faith. Noah looked foolish for God when he was building an ark. It had never rained up until that point. Water came from the earth to moisturize the land and, and uh, irrigate the land. They never knew what water from the sky was. So when Noah started to preach that water was going to fall from the sky and a flood was going to come, they ridiculed him. They mocked him. But by faith, Moses, uh, Noah moved with godly fear. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear and prepared an ark. And when God told him to prepare an ark, he didn't prepare a canoe. He looked foolish. He built this, the, the greatest structure of his day, a massive Massive boat, comparable to cruise boats today. By faith, Abraham, he looked foolish, taking Isaac up to that mountain. I mean, that's why he didn't tell anybody. That's why he didn't tell where, where he was going. He didn't tell Sarah where he was going, because she would have probably discouraged him from doing it. That's foolish. What do you mean, kill Isaac? We just waited like 50 years for this. Now you want to sacrifice him? Abraham looked foolish. Going up, I mean, you want to know what would be a good practice in the Hebrews 11 chapter? Instead of by faith, say, by looking foolish, Abraham did this. By looking foolish, Sarah received strength. By looking foolish, they obtained promises. Because faith requires you to look foolish. That's why the Bible says that uh, God has chosen, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the, 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 the great debater of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world for since God it pleased God that through wisdom the world would not know God it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those that believe I mean think of it this way you were foolish enough to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day you're foolish enough to believe that we uh, that there is a Jesus a heavenly being that is eternal, that came to earth, that died and rose again from the dead and lives forevermore and is coming back on a white horse. You're foolish enough to believe all that. Why not believe him for the extreme concept that he'll heal you today? If you believe him that someone rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, I love what Bishop Oyedepo says. He says, if you are stupid enough to believe God, that he raised someone from the dead 2,000 years ago, then why not go all the way and go look stupid all the way? If you're not willing to be counted a fool for Christ, you're not ready to receive the blessing of Christ. If you're not ready to be accounted as a fool for Christ, pumping water in a water pot, you can imagine their thoughts. What the heck are we doing? We need wine. We're wasting our... We're going to get fired. We're wasting our time here. We should have just gone... 
to the city and, and bought more wine. This is, this is ridiculous. If you're not ready to do the ridiculous, you're not ready to receive the miraculous. If you're not ready to do the ridiculous in obedience to God and whatever he tells you to do, you're not ready to receive the miraculous until you're ready to look like a fool for Christ. You're not ready to receive the full blessing of Christ. But if you'll go all in and you'll fill the water pots with water and you'll do everything God's, and be, God's told you to do and be accounted as a fool before man, You'll never be ashamed. For the Bible says those who believe will never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed. God doesn't leave you to dead ends. God's not trying to make you a mockery. He's trying to make you an object of envy on the earth. Where people see you're different. You look different. You talk different. You speak different. You work differently. Your results are different. I want that. What are you doing differently? And you can lead them to Christ. So what is faith? Faith is looking foolish before man, but wise before God in order to receive the full blessing of God in whatever he's promised you. You look at, you, I mean, think of it. You have uh, those four guys that are listening to Jesus preach in Mark chapter 2, and all of a sudden, they remember, we have a friend that's paralyzed. It'd be good if he got healed today. They go and catch him. There's no more room in the house. So they go to the top and they start sawing the roof off. Looks foolish to do that. You're destroying another man's property. But there's an aspect of violence connected to faith, to true faith. If your faith has no violence tied to it, then it's not genuine faith. Faith has a violent attitude behind it. I'm not talking about killing people. I'm not talking about, you know... Uh, uh, picking up a gun. I'm not talking about that type of violence. I'm talking about an enough is enough mentality towards the devil. Faith doesn't put up with the devil's crap. Faith puts away the devil's crap in your life. Faith doesn't put up with the devil's mess and the devil's assault and attacks against your life. Faith puts down the devil's attack against your life. Faith doesn't endure and cope with what Satan's trying to do. Faith destroys what Satan's trying to do. They sawed the roof off. Today's his day. And they lowered him down. That's, that's violence. They look like madmen. I'm sure they had flames in their eyes at the time. David. What did that freaking guy say? Goliath. What did he say? He's, he's mocking my people. He's mocking the Israelites. Who's this dog? That he should speak like that against the, the armies of heaven. Who's this dog? You have to have that, that mindset. I'm called a royal priesthood. I'm created in God's very own image. You're too dignified to be suffering at the hands of the devil every day of your life. Get angry at the devil. Don't get angry at God. That's what happens. Something happens and people, they get angry at God. Quit getting angry at God. Get angry at the source of your problems, which is the devil. And then let faith arise to deal with it. David said, I'm going to cut your head off today. You know what he said, I'm going to cut your head off? He didn't just say, I'm going to strike you down. Because if he struck him down, Goliath can rise again. That's how people handle the devil. They have a little bit of victory. They don't cut his head off. They have a little bit of victory and they're content with that. They don't go all the way. They're content with that. 
And then it ends up rising up, and then three, three months down the line, they're back in the same predicament. Cut the head of the devil off today. Just like God told the Israelites, the Egyptians that you see today, you'll see no more. I prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ. The attack that's been sent and launched against your life, that's made life a drudgery and a misery in the mighty name of Jesus. As violent faith rises up to take hold of heaven's power and heaven's blessing for your life, the Egyptians, the enemy, the attack, the onslaught of hell against your life that you're experiencing today, you will experience no more. You're entering into all-around rest. You're entering into divine healing. You're entering into divine prosperity. You're entering into divine breakthrough today in Jesus' name. You're fighting the fight of faith, and you're laying hold of that thing that redemption purchased for you. Hallelujah. So how do you get faith, and how do you grow faith? Hebrews 4.11, listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter in to that rest. So it doesn't say, let us be hopeful so that one day we'll enter. No, be diligent. Faith, does, faith requires a form of labor and diligence for it to grow. Lazy people never grow in faith. Faith requires a form of diligence and labor for it to grow. The labor is not... Doing things so you can get God's approval. We have God's approval. But faith, Hebrews, uh, Romans 10, 17, I read it before, comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and hearing the word of God. So double hearing, constantly hearing, constantly exposing yourself to the word of God. So that's the labor that you have to uh, engage in. Hebrews is saying here, let us therefore be diligent and be laborful to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of unbelief. So laziness, uh, in reading the word, listening to preaching, steering yourself up by the word of God, because the word is like a rod. It not only brings uh, faith into your heart, it steers up faith in your heart. So when you're receiving the word, whether you know it or not, there's an invisible rod right now stirring you up. That's why you see people commenting, man, I feel fresh. I feel refreshed. I can't even write down notes. I just want to soak. Like that, that is the rod of God steering your faith up. It's what happens when you hear the word. That's why when I preach, notice when I preach, I don't start off with a half scripture and then talk about my life stories the next 48 minutes. I preach the word. Because without word, the word, Faith isn't going to be generated, and without faith, victory is not going to come. So I get to the, the core of it all. I don't, I don't speak. I, I'm pretty sure. I don't, I've never counted it, but I'm pretty sure there's no less than 50, 60, 70 scriptures in every one of my broadcasts. Whether I quote them directly from the word or I just quote them uh, ver verbatim from my mouth. There, I, I guarantee there's no less than 50 scriptures in every broadcast. Because the scriptures is the custodian of faith. So when you speak the scriptures, faith is generated. It's a natural thing. So the Bible says we're to be diligent. That's why Paul tells Timothy, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Give attention. Pay attention. Don't be, please do not be those pathetic weasel Christians that come up with all kinds of religious cliches and 
I'm just in a different season now, and you know, I know God's lead. It's it's all religious. It's all it's all talk to excuse their lack of devotion to the word of God. Instead, do the be the opposite in a in a time where the church is trying to become as worldly as it can and adapt itself to worldly statement. Conform not to the patterns of this world. Conform to the word of God. Speak the opposite. Don't be a weak, weasel Christian. Be a man of faith. Be a woman of faith. Be a general of faith in this day and age. So faith comes. It increases not in the life of the idle, but in the life of the diligent. Paul told Timothy, until I come, give, give attention to reading, throw yourself entirely to it, meditate on the word of God, and your progress of faith will become evident to everybody. So number two, how do you get faith and how do you grow faith? I said it before, you have a measure of faith at salvation, there's degrees of faith, there's no faith, there's little faith, there's great faith, and there's marvelous faith. Jesus turned to the centurion and said, Marvelous, great is thy faith. Let it be to you as you've desired. So whatever level of faith you want to operate in, work towards that. Get in the word, study to show thyself approve, a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately dividing the word of truth. And how do you, how do you grow it? I, I mean, I, I said it like 16,000 times. How do you grow it? You just, it's the word of God, listening to good preaching. Guard your heart against uh, preaching that, that, that makes you feel discouraged when you, when you listen to it. You'll never come on a broadcast and, you f and leave discouraged on my broadcast. No way. You'll never leave discouraged. Never. You'll always be encouraged. You'll always be built up. The Bible says, I commend you. Acts 20, 32. Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So the word of God builds up your faith uh, reservoir. The resource of faith in you and increases it. And then I finish with this. How do you release your faith? It's important. Two ways. Through what you speak and through what you do. John chapter 9, the Bible says, there was a man that was blind, born blind. Jesus spits on the ground, makes saliva, rubs it on his eyes, and says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The man could have said, what do you mean, go and wash? I mean, this, this guy, who do you think you are spitting on my eyes like this? He could have got real irritated and said, you know, I'm not doing that, you insensitive person. How could you? I'm blind, for goodness sakes. Who spits in the eyes of a guy that's blind? He's already down on his luck, and now you just go and add to it and humiliate him? He could have gotten angry. Instead, the Bible says he went... Exactly what Jesus told him to do. He went to the pool of Siloam. He washed and he said, I came back seen. He came back seen. So the miracle came when he acted on the word of God. Faith is not just believing God's word is true. Faith is obeying God's word to prove that you know it's true. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not just believing that God's word is true. Faith is obeying God's word to prove that you believe it's true. The man at the pool of Siloam, he receives the saliva and the clay on his eyes. He went to the pool of Siloam and he came back seen. He obeyed the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed and he went out. 
he did what God had told him to do. Naaman would have died a leper had he not finally humbled himself and said, you know what, I'm going to go and dip in the pool, in, in the river of Jordan. And when he did that, when he obeyed the instruction, is when the blessing was released in his life. So it's not just believing God's word. There's a lot of Christians. We agree, that's true. Oh, we believe the word of God is infallible. It's inerrant. It is, it is, uh, it is true. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. We believe it's true. But then they do nothing to prove that they believe it's true. Remember what James chapter 2 says? Let me, say that. Let me, let me read this. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Because people say, brother, you're preaching works. You know, it's by faith we're saved. It's by grace through faith. And then James goes on to say what faith is. Faith is not cheap talk. Faith is hard labor. Faith is not cheap talk. Faith is hard labor. I'll prove it to you. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but doesn't have any works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart, be in peace, be warm, be blessed, but you don't give the things that are actually needed for the body, what does that faith do? Does it profit them? Thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have any works, is dead in God's sight. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I've said it before. If your faith lacks proof, it is fake. If there's no evidence, remember, faith is the evidence of things hoped for or of things not yet seen. If your faith has no evidence, outward evidence, not, oh, there's evidence in my heart. No, outward evidence. They prove that they believe when they fill the water pots with water. They, that man with the withered hand proved that he believed Jesus when he took the step to actually stretch out his hand when Jesus said, stretch out your hand. That man that was... In Acts chapter 14, sitting, uh, sitting down in Paul's uh, service, and he was lame from his mother's womb, had never walked, a cripple. And as he listened to Paul speaking, the Bible says Paul saw they had faith to be healed. What do you, how did Paul see that he had faith to be healed? Obviously, the guy wasn't just sitting there like this, like some people are in church when you preach a message like this. They look like they got baptized in pickle juice. Looked like a wart sitting on a pickle. Looked like the most miserable people ever. You know why? Because they're thinking, well, it never worked for me. Yeah, be the, be the prodigal son's brother. Be the prodigal son's brother who just complained. I've been with you this whole time. You've never made anything for me. You've never thrown a feast for me. And look at this guy. He goes out and spends his wealth on hookers and prostitutes, comes back, repents. And all of a sudden, he believes you. And all of a sudden, all, he's, everything's going well for him. You're giving him the fatted calf. Gave him the nice ring I wanted. Gave him the nice robe. The, you know what the father said? Hey, brother, son. All of the stuff that he has has always been available to you. It's your fault if you haven't taken hold of it. You're responsible for the outcome of your life, not God. God's already made everything available to you. It's up to us now to believe it and see it come to pass. That's what James is saying. He said, you, you say you have faith without your works? I'm going to show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works after he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? Meaning by works, his faith was expressed? 
his faith was released and, by, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. When you're a man of faith, you're a friend of God. Hallelujah. What an awesome thing. And you then see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Just like your body cannot operate without a heart that is beating, even so faith can never be released until works, until you do something to prove that you believe God. So number one way you, you, you release that faith is by doing what God's told you to do. God, I'm believing you for financial blessing. Did you give? Because the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. So if you don't give, then it shall not be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. You can pray and fast and do everything you want to try and twist God's arm. He will not be manipulated. He will not be coerced into blessing you without obedience. You have to obey. Those who obey and serve him will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Until obedience is in place, Nothing else will work. So number one, do what God's called you to do. That's a form of releasing your faith. And then number two, Mark eleven twenty three. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. Listen to this. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. If you study the original Greek, Jesus was actually saying, have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith. What was the God kind of faith? Well, we know from Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So in the creation of the world, God was using faith. How did God create the world? Genesis 1, uh, verse 2 and 3. The Bible says that God saw that the earth was formless and without void and darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep. And verse 3 says, so God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be a firmament between the heavens and the earth. Let there be water. Let there be, um, let there be uh, vegetation and fruits and seeds according, that will bear fruit according to its kind. Let there be. And every time God said, let there be, God saw. So as God said, God saw. As God said, God saw. So how did God express his faith in creation? By the spoken world. By faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. So your world and what you see in life is going to be formed. It's going to be shaped by the word of God that you receive, believe, act on, and speak and declare. That's why the Bible says, declarest thou that thou mayest be justified. You know what the Bible says in uh, Isaiah 46, I believe it is. I might be wrong, but it's, it's in Isaiah. God speaking says, concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Hallelujah. God actually says, what my, concerning the work of my hands, what you've seen me do in times past, what I've written I would do in the Bible, what I've spoken that I've promised that I would do. The Bible says, command me ye. Me, me, command ye me. Meaning, when you release the word of the Lord over your situation, you're not arrogantly commanding God to do something for you, but heaven ceases as a command to enforce that thing in your life. So the Bible says even angels, you can't even dispatch angels on your behalf until you speak the word because angels only heed the voice of his command. 
Bless the Lord, Psalm 103, you his angels, who do his word, who heed the voice of his command. So when you're speaking the word, you're releasing angelic intervention, you're releasing heavenly intervention to enforce, enforce those things. Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, you're to have the faith of God. God is a faith God. We are faith children. How did God release his faith? By the word he spoke. How do we release our faith? Verse 23, for assuredly I say, take note in how many times Jesus says the word say in this passage of scripture. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Four times God, uh, Jesus says the word say. Four times he refers to the power of your confession. Four times he ties the release of your faith to the release of your words. I say, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. Sorry, the first say is him saying. So it's three times. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt. You know what that tells you? Faith can move mountains and the mountain isn't moved by just believing. The mountain is moved by saying to this mountain, be cast into the sea and not doubting in your heart, but believing that those things which he says will be done. So it's not just believing in God's word, it's believing that when you speak, it's believing in, in God's word in your mouth. Here's something that's gonna blow your mind. God's word in the Bible and God's word when he spoke it the very first time is just as powerful as God's word in your mouth when you speak it today. God's word spoken from his mouth the first time is just as powerful as God's word in your mouth spoken today. That's why Jesus said, if you have faith, you will say to the mountain, you have my word. And when you say it, it will uproot the mountain and cast it into the midst of the sea. And if you'll believe that God's word in your mouth is powerful enough to do it, you will have what you say. You'll have what you say. So two ways you release your faith. Because a lot of people, they preach on what faith is. Great, I want to know. We did that. But how do you release faith in the heart? Can I have all the faith in the world? How many of you have ever heard someone, oh, they had all the faith in the world and they still didn't get it. All the faith in the world does nothing. It is faith expressed through your actions and what you speak you will have what you say Jesus said he didn't say you'll have what you believe he said if you'll believe in your heart and speak it you'll have what you say Romans chapter 10 and I started this broadcast off like this and I'm going to end it like this Romans 10 says this is the faith that the word of faith which is near you even in your heart and in your mouth and he says for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but it's only unto confession, only unto confession, that salvation, uh, it, it becomes a reality, so the Bible says, with the heart man believes, can have all the faith in the world in your heart, but it's only when confession happens, that you possess salvation, that salvation comes to, so that happens, with, that, that, that same law of faith works in everything that you're believing God for, how did you, how did you receive salvation, you believe that God rose Jesus from the dead, 
And then you confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You read the entire New Testament. Oftentimes you hear the confession of our faith. Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. You hear about confession. Let us not waver from our confession. For he who promises faithful. So you believe in the heart. How did, how did you get saved? You believed in your heart that God rose Jesus from the dead. But then you confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5. Listen to this. So this is how you know you're saved. This is why you don't have to doubt your salvation. 1 John chapter 5. Uh, and verse 13. These things I have written to you so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and that you, know, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So we believe and we've confessed it. We know we're saved. That's how you got saved. Well, you can apply that same law of faith to everything else you're believing God for today. Believe in God for health? Believe that he's Jehovah Rapha. Believe that he took on his own back every stripe that was necessary to purchase the physical healing that you need of today. So I'm not stretching forward for healing. I'm believing already. Just like I'm not believing for Jesus to be nailed to a cross so that I can get saved. He already did it. I'm not believing that Jesus needs to take a 40th lash on his back for me to be healed. I already know he did it. I believe. And now I confess. I'm healed. I confess. Jesus is my Lord. I confess. Jesus is my healer. And I'm healed. I'm saved. Believe in God for provision? I believe. He's Jehovah Jireh. I believe that the Bible says that he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So now I confess my needs shall be more than abundantly supplied. He's able to show all grace to me so that I have a sufficiency in everything that I need and an abundance for everything that I want to do. If I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. I believe it. I confess it. I have more than enough. My cup runs over. I'm over and abundantly supplied with everything that I need and want in life. I believe that I'm set free from sin. I believe it because the Bible says sin shall no longer have dominion over me. I believe that the law of sin and death has been broken over my life. I believe that the Bible says we were buried with him in baptism in conformity to his death. That Jesus being lifted up from the dead, we also... By the glory of the Father, we're raised to life so that we can walk in newness of life, no longer chained to sin. I believe it in my heart. Well, I'm going to confess it. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not a, an addict anymore. I'm not a recovering this or recovering that. I am the holiness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the righteousness in God, of God in Christ Jesus. I'm an obedient Christian. Don't confess, uh, you know, I, we all go wayward in different ways. No, I'm an obedient Christian. I walk in holiness. I walk in purity. I walk in, in on a straight line. Don't identify with what you've done in the past. Identify and use your mouth to declare who you've become by redemption. Hallelujah. If you're watching right now, you need to get saved if you're not saved. If you're not born again... All of this is just going to be a fairy tale to you. All of this is just going to be a wishful thought. But if you really want to enter in, the Bible says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot partake of these things that I've been speaking on until you're born again. How do you get born again? Easy. A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner and you need God's salvation. B, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. 
See, confess and commit. commit. Confess Jesus is Lord and commit yourself to his lordship. Commit yourself and consecrate yourself to following him the remainder of your days. If you're watching right now and you've never done that, you've never given your life to Christ, you're, you have a question mark as to where you're going to spend your eternity. If there was ever a time to not gamble on your eternal destination, it's right now. The door, uh, 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 the, the gate of heaven is open. Jesus is on his white horse and he's waiting to come back for his bride. And he's only coming back, not for those that did good works, not for those that gave a lot of money to church and to charities. He's coming back for those that have a white robe of righteousness that you could only receive in Christ Jesus. As many as receive Christ, to them become, to them gave you power to become children of God. Nobody is just a child of God because they're born. We're not all children of God. You're a child of God when you receive the spirit of adoption by Christ Jesus. That's, and that happens when you receive him into your heart. That happens when you believe that you, God raised him from the dead and confess him to be your Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible calls it the born again, where you're born again. New desires. God takes away the old heart. He puts a new heart, a heart that's willing and able to walk in his commandments. Everything changes. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. If that's you right now and you want to give your life, to the Lord Jesus Christ, pray this with me from the depths of your heart. Say it like you mean it, in sincerity and in truth. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Christ is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Where I was weak, make me strong. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let old things pass away today. And everything become new. I will walk with you. Empower me by your spirit. To never take a step backward. From today. Heaven is my home. God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm never turning back. In Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer. I would love for you to go on my website. SalvationNow.ca salvationnow.ca if on youtube and facebook you can just put that link up salvationnow.ca fill up uh the form that i have there there's a youtube video at the bottom of the page i want to hear from you there's a youtube video at the bottom of the page that is four basic things i would tell you now that you've been saved now that you, you you're born again that are going to help you to not make this just some like euphoric moment in life where you had a, a jolt of energy but you can actually walk in this you can walk in yourself you can work out your salvation in fear and trembling and so i've, I've done this video just for you so that you're this isn't just a, a blimp on the map but you actually endure to the end because the bible says only those who endure to the end will be saved so i want you to go and watch that youtube video it's going to help you a lot um fill out the the form i want to hear from you and i look forward to hearing from you god bless you richly Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.